org. The following program is sponsored by Rosenthal Wealth Management. Okay. Welcome to the Larry Rosenthal Show. We're supposed to be having some music right about now, but it's a... <laughs> it's evading me for the moment, but welcome. Glad to have you here. We'll we'll get to some of the, the music and things that we need to get to as soon as I figure out what happened, Dina. Welcome, Dina. Dina Arnett is in the studio with us today. Glad to have you here. To see your smiling face on a Saturday morning. <laughs> well, thank you. And even Bob's got a smile on his face here today. How about that? But yet again, no donuts. <laughs> What's up with that, Mr. Bob? Bob, give me some donuts, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so welcome to the Larry Rosenthal Show. And Dean Arnett's in here with our studio. Remember, our number is 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. If you'd like to dial in and uh, chat with us here today. Dina, what are we talking about today? Oh, I've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about, we're going to do a little bit of a market recap for September. We're going to talk about what happened during the first full week of October I'm going to talk about the President's Updated Student Loan Forgiveness Program. I've got some steps for our listeners who may qualify for federal student loan forgiveness. got some steps for them to take to make sure that they take advantage of this. It's a, it's a short-term window that they've got, so I want to make sure everybody's aware of it. And then I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about nervousness in the market. I'm going to talk about what we have endured in the market and how the markets have responded and hopefully hopefully take a little bit of the the worry and fear out of people's minds. So it'll be a neat little history lesson that we engage in this morning. Well, I'm excited to get right into it. Let's dig in. Well, right. So as we all know, the S&P 500, the Dow, the NASDAQ were all down during the month of September. And it's not really that unusual, actually, to have September be a negative month. There's a whole thing in the markets, in investing, and in, in financial circles to talk about what's known as the September effect. For whatever reason, there's this market anomaly. It's not really related to anything uh, in no particular event or headline. But the the September effect uh, is, is real. The average rate of return during the month of September is almost negative half a percent. Now, this year, the September effect saw the major indices lose almost 5%. But it's a real thing. So when we get to September every year, we sort of know, well, on average, we might see a bad month. Does that mean we sell everything on September 1 and wait until October 1 to buy back in? Of course not. Nobody can time the market. And as averages go, we average a loss every September. But there are some Septembers that don't follow that rule. So, again, as Let's hope always, that's this one, right? Let's see. Well, we've we've already passed it. Well, that's true. So, I mean, yeah, never mind. You know, yeah, wake up. Come the, on. The now. coming one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it doesn't mean you try to time in and out of this thing, right? You, you just recognize that the September effect is a thing. And if it upsets you, maybe you don't watch it quite as closely during that month. 
But during the first full week of October this year, we actually saw a little bit of what was lost in September come back. The volatility is still there, but we did eke out a positive return. We've still got a lot of volatility because of the U.S. debt limit, rising interest rates, and higher inflation concerns. But on the whole, the Dow was up almost one and a quarter percent last week. The S&P was up a little over three quarters. The NASDAQ was just a smidge above even. The NASDAQ was up 0.09% for the week. But a nice little rebound, and on a couple of those days, we actually saw a really good rebound in the NASDAQ, which is quite heavy with technology stocks. So that was a good, good thing. We watched the 10-year U.S. Treasury note as kind of a gauge for consumer sentiment. We watched that as a as a gauge for where we think the market is going. And the yield on the 10-year Treasury increased to 1.61%. That it was at 1.49, so that's a, a nice little move up. And what that means, when I see yields go up, that means investors are taking money out of treasuries and either moving that money into cash or to stocks. And I believe I believe a chunk of that money was actually going back into the market. Doesn't the 10-year yield have a lot to do with the housing market as well? Don't they kind of measure that with... Um, It can. It can. There are so many pieces in the housing market right now that are going into the mix. Mm -hmm. You've got current interest rates. You've got very, very low inventory available. You've got the ending of the eviction moratorium, which some real estate followers think is going to cause a flood of new empty houses onto the market, Mm -hmm. which could drive prices down. Mm -hmm. Remains to be seen. Mm Mm-hmm. If you drive a car and if you put gas in that car, you have noticed that the price that you pay at the <laughs> pump has gone up dramatically. That scared the, me the other day when I pumped it up. I was like, what, 60 bucks? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's very, very different than even just a year ago. A barrel of West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil moved over $80 this week for the first time since 2014. Yeah, seven years. We it's been seven years since we saw oil this expensive, um, and I think that that's going to be the deal for a while. And then, of course, mm-hmm. we watch volatility. We we watch this this VIX gauge. It comes from the Chicago Board of Options Exchange, and the VIX gauge, without getting into a lot of math, simply says the higher the VIX number, the more volatility that we have. The VIX dropped down to 18.7 by the end of the week. It was 24.5 earlier in the week. And some of that, I would dare say a large part of that, was because of the debt ceiling negotiations that were happening back and forth. Hmm, Interesting. The debt ceiling negotiations have been kicked down the road a little bit. The Democrats and the Republicans in the Senate crafted a deal to offer a short-term suspension of the debt ceiling. Make no mistake, it's not a done deal. This still has to go to the House. The House has to approve it. If approved, the debt ceiling conversation is tabled only temporarily. They've got to address the issue again by December 3rd. I think what they've done is just bought some time to keep, uh, to keep potentially uh, uh, the U.S. debt from being downgraded. Uh, Janet Yellen spoke earlier in the week 
and said that mm-hmm. the economy could fall into recession if Congress didn't come to some sort of agreement on that. In the meantime, all of our federal employees and military resources are going like, ah, okay, do we get paid? You know, when is this going to It's just a little bit. It's always Retirees scary. Retirees who wait for their Social Security yeah. checks. There's a whole list of people potentially impacted. So they've kicked the, the can down the road until the beginning of December, yeah. which I don't know about you. December sounds forever away. It's only two months away. Yeah, it is. This year, this year has just absolutely flown. Here, I'm stuck back in September. So, you know, hey, what can you do? I, I'm uh, honestly, I'm still stuck in 2020, but we yeah. we won't talk about that. Yeah. Um, you may have heard the news not this past week, but but a couple of weeks ago. There's a Chinese real estate development firm called Evergrande, and Evergrande is quite large in China. And they have hit a hit a wall where there's concern they won't be able to pay their bills. Mm. Um, that's showing a whole lot of stress in China's property market. Um, the the credit rating agencies have downgraded them. It's it's still something that we are watching very very carefully. I think you're going to hear the name Evergrande in the news for a while. So if you if you are invested in Chinese equities specifically, whether it's in a mutual fund, whether it's in an ETF, or whether you've bought individual shares of Chinese stocks, you may want to watch that very carefully. The bondholders are concerned that Evergrande is going to default on their payments. They have $150 million in offshore payment obligations in the coming week. So again, this is going to be a headline that I think we're going to hear for a while. Okay, wow. All right. And we've still got all the supply chain disruptions. We've seen the pictures of all the huge cargo ships just just in the water off the off the coasts of the United States. And that is really causing some some major problems in some pretty big industries, most notably the automobile industry. There's a semiconductor chip shortage. And it's really oh, yeah. hamstringing production on things ranging from cars and computers to appliances, toothbrushes even. Computerized yeah. toothbrushes. Who knew? I have a friend that works for uh, one of the major car companies in the assembly process. And he was just telling me he's had an extended vacation because they can't get semiconductors and semiconductors, so they can't build cars. That's uh, right. Yeah. U.S. auto sales are actually expected to drop 13% in the third quarter because of this disruption. Mm. The, the shortage of semiconductors had, has shifted so much in the automobile industry alone because they have, to, they have to anticipate their ability to bring in supplies to build these automobiles. So some of... When we talk about inflation being a problem, this supply chain disruption is absolutely part of the equation. Until we can get normalcy, until we can return to a more normal flow of supplies to the manufacturers, they're going to absolutely charge more for the pieces that they can sell to offset for that. Of We've course, seen that yeah. not only in brand new automobiles, but but costs of used automobiles in some markets are up 30%. Yeah, because people can't get the new ones. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, interesting. That's mm. right. So all of that to say, that's a could be a whole lot of gobbledygook, but all of that to say we're in a time where I think different economic, different fiscal factors are going to contribute to higher than average market volatility. 
I think it's very important to understand your asset allocation. I think it's very important to understand the amount of risk that you're taking in your portfolio and how wild the swings might get. (laughs) Every time I'm on the show with you, Chris, I offer to our listeners a free risk assessment on their portfolios. Yeah, take advantage of that one. Still offering that today. I expect this market to be very, very choppy for the foreseeable future. It doesn't mean the sky's falling. It doesn't mean a crash is imminent, but it does mean that the roller coaster ride that you experience in your portfolio could get a little more intense. So if you want to understand what to expect, I can do that math for you. I can do the analysis for you so that you can possibly sleep a little better at night. 855-767-3123 is the phone number for you to call if you'd like to talk to Dina here this morning and give her a phone call and discuss anything that's on your mind. You can get a hold of that risk assessment, then give us a call. 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. More with Dina Arnett and the Larry Rosenthal Show coming up. Stay tuned. You are listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. There are still too many countries that give little or no assistance to disabled children. In third world nations, these children are left alone while parents try to eke out a living. About 10 years ago, residents of Prince William and Fauquier counties in Virginia formed Children with Disabilities Fund International. It focuses on the needs of disabled children. CDFI's current work. apologize for that, but if you'd like to dial in and talk to Dina, again, 855-767-3123. More here on the Larry Rosenthal Show as we continue here with Dina Arnett. Dina. Good morning again. Oh, you'll have to excuse me if I'm a little bit punchy today. About 2.30 morning, I started hearing a little bit of a ruckus outside the house. We have a pair of owls that has decided to make our backyard home. Owls. Owls. <laughs> okay. Yes, we have, we have barred owls in our neighborhood. And this morning at 2.30, they decided that they were going to roost right outside my bedroom window owls. <laughs> and start talking to one another. Those are big birds. They're not it was it was very loud. It, my husband and I uh, had a had a nice little laugh about it this morning, but a little bit punchy because of the the hoo hoo and the echo hoo hoo back and forth. <laughs> it's funny. It, it truly was. It truly was. So little punchy, but I, I've still got good information for everyone this morning. Yeah. At the beginning of the hour, I talked about the September effect and how historically the markets are down a smidge during the month of September. You know what? October always gets kind of a a, a bad rap uh, in terms of of performance, but the fourth quarter is usually mostly positive for stocks. On the S&P 500, the average for the fourth quarter is 3.9%, and the S&P has gone up four out of every five years since World War II. So, If I'm just playing the averages, if I'm just looking at typical stock market behavior, I expect a positive return this quarter. 
But as I said before the break, I think it's going to be a bit of a roller coaster ride because of all these different things that we have going on fiscally and economically. 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. Donna's going to join us here from Upper Marlboro. Welcome, Donna. What's your question here today for Dina? Hi, Donna. Afghanistan being being one of the big headlines and the volatility of the market versus the the week before is actually down a good bit. So keep watching, but again, don't try to time it. Just watch and understand if the roller coaster ride starts going down a hill, that's not when you hop up. Sorry to hear that. We will tell you to take a quick break here. We'll be back with more of Dina Arnaz here, the Larry Rosenthal Show. And we're live on LarryRosenthal.tv on YouTube and also on WAVA and Family Talk, Mixer 131. So we appreciate you joining us here today. We'll be back in a moment. Really appreciate you calling in with this this morning, Donna. I am so sorry for the difficulty that that has has hit your family. I'm I'm sorry to hear that your husband is doing so poorly. I'll do as much as I can to help you, okay? The first thing I want you to do is I want you to get a very concise listing of all of your financial assets. I want a concise listing of all of your debts. In fact, Um, Chris, can you make a note to send Donna the financial planning toolkit? Because, Donna, this toolkit will help you get that information organized. Absolutely. Once you get get that information organized, if you wish, I will review that with you, and we'll talk about if anything needs to be cleaned up. Okay? Sometimes... Um, sometimes before we apply for a mortgage, we need to go through and clean up some debts. We need to go through and reposition some assets to make you look like the most favorable applicant for a mortgage. So the first thing I want to do is make sure that financially everything looks very, very clean. Your, your family member that you said can help you, are they a realtor? Are they going to be able to help you locate properties? Wonderful. Okay. Utilize that resource, especially if that person has been in the business for a long time and knows this area. That type of knowledge is invaluable. The The next thing I would say for you, and I've got, forgive me if I bounce around, I've got a lot of thoughts going on in the old noggin right now for you. The next thing I would take a look at is the type of property that you want access to. Um, I would I would guess you're going to want something that's on one level, perhaps with the ability to, to build a, a wheelchair ramp in the front, do some modifications in the bathroom so that so that it's a little more usable for your husband. But you may look into a retirement community of sorts. I'm not sure if your husband's 
current health situation would preclude you from being admitted into a retirement community. But that was the first thing that I thought of as you were telling me your story, because retirement communities offer this apartment type living. Okay. Everything on one level, but if something were to happen and your husband were to need care, the care would be right there on the campus where you lived. So that, that may be something to look into as well. And then the third thing I would say, and these aren't necessarily in order of priority, okay, Donna, but the third thing that I, I would suggest strongly is to make sure that you have good estate planning in place while your husband is able to do so. Um, and what that means is make sure your will is up to date, make sure that you have a durable power of attorney that is current, that gives you the ability to function on your husband's behalf if the worst happens, okay? Make sure all of your beneficiaries, especially on your husband's accounts, make sure those are as he would want them. So you're right. You do have a lot to do right now. I'm happy to help it, help you with it as much as I possibly can. Uh, but those are my thoughts for you this morning. Good. From the point five, the half percent pace in June. That inflation gauge is up 3.6% year over year, and that is the highest. Donna, so thank you. Let you. me know how I can help. I'm, I'm happy to review that financial planning toolkit with you and discuss ways to make it look better if, in, if it even needs that, okay? But, but we just need to know. inflation gauge, the personal consumption expenditures index was up and it's up more than in 30 years. But again, if you if you look at what's called the base effect, I think that's what we're talking about here because incomes were not up this time last year. Inflation certainly was not up this time last year. And this is a, what we call a year over year number. If we're comparing, I am, am happy to help you. Um, stay stay on the line. Bob will get your contact information. Definitely want an email address so we can send you that toolkit, okay? All right. Hang in there just one second. Here we go. 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. It's a, a heartstring of a touch there with that, with Donna's story. So well, it God is, bless her. You know, God bless her. And you and I were talking before the show today, you know, my, my mom became a widow at 56 years old, and I'm, I'm approaching that age. And, and interestingly enough, at, at one point a number of years ago, the average age of widowhood was 56 years old. And that's really, really young, mm-hmm. um, especially in today's environment mm-hmm. with life expectancies getting longer and longer and longer. So it is important to have a good handle on all the financials. It's good to make sure that you do a checkup on the estate planning at least once a year, check your beneficiary designations, make sure your will is up to date, make sure your power of attorney is up to date. What most people don't understand is that these
they may not accept it Fancy. because Can't over the span of 10 years, the United States there could be new ones. Control. There could be an updated power of attorney. There could be a different power of attorney. So those are documents that need to be reviewed, I'm going to say annually, and then updated as laws change or as the documents become stale. Hmm. Again, give us a call at 855-767-3123 with your questions or uh, your problems or difficulties that you would have. We'll do our best to try to help you here this morning. With Dina Arnett in for Larry Rosenthal. I want to talk a little bit this morning about the update to the Federal Student Loan Forgiveness Program. There's been one in place uh, since 2007, and at that time, work in public service for 10 years, if you made on-time payments to your student loans during that time, you could have the balance of those student loans canceled at the end. That program has had a lot of bad press. It's had a lot of hiccups along the way, and rightly so. Um, More people than not applied for this program and were turned down. So it's... um, There has been a need to update, to revamp the program. And just this week, the the loan types that are serviceable and the payment plan issues that may have arisen, there's been a waiver to tackle those two big obstacles. Now, there's a few asterisks, a few caveats to this program, okay? The first is that parent plus loans are not eligible for the waiver. So if you're a parent who took out a loan for your child's college, you're not eligible for this program. It does not expand the categories of employment that are eligible for the program either. So borrowers need to be working full-time for a qualifying employer at the time of their payments in order for the payments to count. And there's there have been so many technicalities on this program, it's no wonder people have had a hard time qualifying. Um, if, if, any, if any listener wants to get the, this information on email, just give us a call, shoot us an email. We will be happy to send this out to you. So here's how the plan goes. Unless you are a military-connected student loan borrower, your periods of deferment and forbearance do not count toward your 120 payment rule. So you have to make a total of 120 on-time payments. And if sometime during that, that 10-year period, you've had a forbearance or, for, or deferral on those payments, those periods don't count. You've still got to make 120 payments. Now, the department kicked off, uh, kicked off some, some, new, some new, kinder, gentler rules on that this week. So the loan type and payment plan changes are good news for Lots and lots of people, over half a million by, by Department of Education estimates. Um, lots of people are skeptical. Getting, getting forgiveness has been challenging, lots of record keeping and all that type of thing. Here, is, here are some steps for you to take to apply for and hopefully be granted this student loan forgiveness. First of all, and this is a really basic one, Make sure the Department of Education has your most up-to-date contact information because they will be reaching out to borrowers to let you know directly how these changes might impact you. If they don't have your updated contact information, you may not receive it. And the window on this is only a year long. This is, these are not permanent changes. You've got a year. The second thing you do is you check to see what kind of student loans you have. They have to be federal student loans. And 
up until now, they've only offered defer, I'm sorry, uh, forgiveness on one type, a direct loan. During the period of this waiver, however, borrowers who made payments on other types of federal student loans can have those payments count toward the 120 that you need for the relief. You'll have to take some action to get those payments counted. That's why it's important to figure out what types of federal student loans you have. If you don't know, it's it's not hard to figure out. You can actually log into your account at studentaid.gov and you go to the My Aid page to get the loan breakdown. That'll provide a list of your federal student loans. Any loans that start with the word direct are direct loans. If every single one of your loans are direct, you can skip to the fifth step that I'm getting ready to talk about. If you have family federal education loans, which start with F-F-E-L in the loan breakdown section, or a Perkins loan, you've got to do the next thing I'm going to talk about. The, one of the big deals and one of the big hurdles for getting this federal loan forgiveness is understanding the types of employment that are eligible. And you've got to be working for an eligible employer during the time these payments are made. So step three, you've got to check to see whether your current or previous employment is eligible for the federal loan forgiveness program. So if you've already had some of your employment certified, if, if before November 2020 you submitted an employment certification form and had it approved, or if you submitted the form and had your employment approved after that, you can skip to the next step. But if you have not had your employment certified, you have to do that next. The list of categories that qualify, that has not changed. If previously you were in a category of employment that wasn't on the list, this program is not for you. If you have been working and making payments for an employer that is in the right category, you can continue on. You can look to see whether you've had the, the acceptance, whether your job has been approved for the program. If you work for the government, a 501c3 or other nonprofit organizations, those count toward your 120 payments that you need for forgiveness. If you don't work for those and you're not sure if your employer makes you eligible, you want to go through and check whether they qualify because the very next step in all of this is to consolidate all of these loans into the direct loan program. So there is a PSLF help tool that you can use to find that out. If this all sounds cumbersome and confusing, it is. <laughs> Good. I was okay. Say, there's there's yeah. a lot to this. I, I noticed, Chris, you're not asking any questions. <laughs> I was just going to part my hair here a little bit. Yeah, that's Cause, okay. Because this is high and deep. And again, yeah. if we've got listeners who need this information, I'm happy to forward it to you because it's a lot. It's a lot, but it could be very beneficial for folks that want that. Listen, if you've got somebody working in public service and they've got 80 grand in student loans and they know that all they have to do is make 120 loans and their 120 loan payments on time and then the rest of it's forgiven, that's huge incentive because yeah. I've seen people pay on these loans for 30 years. Sometimes they're a mortgage payment. Oh, yeah. And they stay forever. It just, just feels like it's just hanging over your head. Uh, it, there, does. So. it does. It does. 
Step number four, you've got to consolidate your FFEL or Perkins loans into the direct loan program. And here's your deadline before October 31st, 2022. So you've got basically a year from right now to get any non-direct loans consolidated into direct loan programs. Um, it is free to consolidate any of those federal student loans. They, they will process it for a fee. It, it's not money that's going to the Department of Education or anything like that. They're literally being paid for their time to help you get this done. Mm-hmm. The application is, is a one-session thing. should take you roughly 30 minutes. But when you consolidate those loans, you can choose what type of repayment plan you use to pay down your debt. To make sure that payments on the new direct loan count toward the public service loan forgiveness, you should select an income-driven payment plan. That means they're going to look at the income you have coming in, and they have ratios that they have to follow. Your payments can't go above a certain amount, so you can't be impoverished because of your student loan payments. Mm -hmm. And then finally, step five, you've got to submit what's called the PSF, sorry, PSLF form before October 31, 2022. So if you only have direct loans and you've previously certified your employment, which means that you did all this before November 2020, you can not worry about this step. But if you have the Perkins loans or the other types of non-direct loans, you've got to do this step. This is what certifies you for the program. This is what certifies your payments and makes it so that they can be paid off at the end of that 10-year process. And then step six, just hang in there. It may take a few weeks. It may take a few months for this to, to actually go into effect. Don't do everything by the book. Follow each step to the letter there's a lot of links I can send you on how to do this, but this is this is potentially this is potentially a great way for certain borrowers to have their their loan payments after the ten year mark forgiven. Again, give us a call if you want me to send this information to you. I do realize it's quite a lot. It is a lot. And definitely make that phone call, eight five five seven six seven three one two three, eight five five Rose one two three. During the week that phone number goes to the main offices and you don't charge for those questions either, do you, Dina? It's a free of charge for those questions. I don't know. Maybe a chocolate donut. <laughs> a chocolate donut. There you go. Again, 855-767-3123. We will take a quick break. We will be back with more of the Larry Rosenthal Show here in just a moment. So hang in there. Listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855 Rose 123. That's 855 767 3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. There are still too many countries that give little or no assistance to disabled children. In third world nations, these children could be left alone while parents try to eke out a living. 
About 10 years ago, residents of Prince William and Fauquier counties in Virginia formed Children with Disabilities Fund International. It focuses on the needs of disabled children. CDFI's current work in Jamaica and Kenya supports about 300 disabled children and their families. For some of these children, they're getting the care they need for the first time in their lives. CDFI recently began an individual child sponsorship program in an effort to better meet the needs of these disabled children. To choose your child to sponsor, go to thecdfi.org. That's thecdfi.org. Your gift will help transform not only a disabled child's life, but the lives of their parents and of the surrounding community. Go to thecdfi.org. Make a difference. Go to thecdfi.org. And here's another Money Minute with Larry Rosenthal. So many different ways to invest money. Lump sum deposits, buy and hold, market timing. How about dollar cost averaging? Put the same amount of money into the same investment at every interval, whether it's monthly, quarterly, annually, whatever it may be. This gives you the greatest opportunity to get the average price over the long term of the investment because one of the secrets to creating wealth is the acquisition of shares. You want to keep buying more and more shares over time. On the flip side, when you're in your retirement years and you want to distribute dollars to yourself for income, do the same thing in reverse. Dollar cost average out during your retirement years. Now nationwide and coast to coast from sea to shining sea. Call now, 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. Live from the nation's capital, this is the Larry Rosenthal Show. Thanks for listening to the Larry Rosenthal Show, 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. To talk to Larry Rosenthal, our or actually, not Larry today. It is Dina, and we're l- really very happy to have her with us. And if you'd like to talk to her, in fact, we do have somebody who would like to talk to you here this morning, Dina. Her name is Christy. Welcome to the to the program, Christy. What's your question here for Dina? Hi, Christy. Absolutely. This list is long. There there are links for different forms, different this, that, and the others that you have to follow. What we can do, Christy, is we can take your email address, and I will have Bob email that out to you straight away. You'll have it after the show's over today. All right. Thank you for listening. 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123 to talk to Dina Arnett here in studio here with us today. You know, I get all kinds of interesting questions and commentary as I'm working with my clients through the course of the week. And I had a had a conversation with one of my more conservative clients this week that I wanted to share with our listeners because I I think that one of the one of the big mistakes we all tend to make, and, and I can be guilty of this too, is to get a little too emotional about my money decisions. And I've, I've long said that emotional money decisions are quite often bad ones. Mm. And, and I was sharing that with the, with a client this week, one of my more conservative clients. And he said, well, you know what? He says, I'm just very uncomfortable with the direction the country's headed in. 
I'm uncomfortable with fiscal policy. I'm uncomfortable with the Fed. I'm uncomfortable with all this stuff that's happening all over the world. <laughs> COVID makes me nervous. I, I just, I, I know I've got too much money sitting in cash, but I'm afraid to invest it. That's one of those fellows that you want to just sort of, you know, uh, breathe. <laughs> and the conversation started out something like that. And I said, well, I said, I, I can't do anything about all of that. I said, but what I can tell you is that during the time that you and I have been alive and walking this earth, he and I are in the same age group. Okay. We've been around a bit. And what I can tell you is that during the time that you and I have been walking this earth, there have been decades, and I would submit every single decade of our life has had its turmoil. Every single decade of our life has had things that made, if not us, because maybe we were too young, but made our parents concerned about the direction of the country, made mm. our parents concerned and afraid to invest or to step out from, from the traditional banking world. It's very different for us today than it was for our parents and grandparents, because to my knowledge, our parents and grandparents didn't have to deal with putting money in the bank and earning less than half a percent. Mm, yeah. Right. Okay. We're, we're faced with, hey, if I need money in savings, I need an emergency fund, we're faced with it sitting there and pretty much stagnating. So having more than, say, three to six months worth of your budget in savings, it's a losing proposition if I sure. look at where inflation is versus the rate of return on that money. So I, I sort of mentally went back in time and said, okay, for the time that we've been alive, what are the things that have really injected fear into the hearts of investors and how did those things play out? I actually went a little bit further back than my, my own life. I went back to the 1960s and said, okay, what are the things that would have made people nervous to invest and uncomfortable about the direction of the country and the world? Well, in the 60s, you know, it was the Vietnam War. It was protests. It was uh, the Stonewall riots, the women's liberation movement. The civil rights movement grew and grew and grew. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. made his famous I Have a Dream speech. The Berlin Wall was built. The U.S. entered the Vietnam War. The Soviets launched the first man into space. President John F. Kennedy Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy were all assassinated. That all happened in the 60s. Might our parents and grandparents have been really nervous during that time? Probably. Probably so. That was a, a as much as anything, a, an uncomfortable cultural uprising, if you will. And then if we go to the 70s, the Vietnam War was still a major event. We had the Kent State shooting, the Jonestown Massacre, the Munich Olympics Massacre. We had hostages taken in Iran, the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island. Inflation peaked out at almost 20% in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. Might people have been nervous during that time? If they weren't nervous before, they certainly were nervous when President Nixon took us off the gold standard and then when he later resigned. Yeah. And in the 80s, there was a recession that hit materials companies particularly hard. Don't forget the savings and loan crisis. 42 banks failed by mid-1982. And another 50 banks failed the very next year. That was also the beginning of the end of the Cold War 
The Berlin Wall fell in 1989. The space shuttle Challenger blew up. Pan Am Flight 747 over Lockerbie, Scotland was blown to bits by a terrorist bomb. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, the Rubik's Cube was created in the 1980s. Not all bad, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Those things were really pretty dangerous. No. <laughs> <laughs> My five-year-old got a Rubik's Cube at a yard sale recently, and he was so excited about it until he started trying to figure it out. He says, this isn't fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it isn't fair, actually. No, I agree. I'm with him. I'm with him. It takes but, genius to figure those out. But but I'm going through this this rapid fire list of things that has happened in each of these individual decades, hopefully to illustrate the point that at no point in time have we had a decade that was just absolute bliss and nothing went wrong. That's not the nature of of life. That's not the nature of our world. The one thing that has been a constant, albeit a volatile constant, is that if you're investing, and I'm going to talk about just generally the S&P 500, if you're putting money into the S&P 500 during these times, during these uncertain and volatile times, you will absolutely ride the roller coaster ride. You will absolutely experience the up and down volatility that investing in a 100% stock index is going to give you. But I will remind all of our listeners, the S&P 500 is an index that is built on the returns of 500 of the largest companies in the United States, 500 of the biggest, meaning they have the most shares of stock on the open market. They have huge what's called market capitalization, and they bring in a truckload of money every single year as investors. Our job is not to pick the thing that's going to give us great big returns within the next week, but what's going to give us the returns that we need over the next 3, 5, 10, 20, 30 years to help our families reach their financial goals. That's the point. I I laugh because I know if I, in in my own account, if I go by an S&P 500 fund on a Monday. I know Tuesday it's going to go down. <laughs> yeah. That's just how it goes for me. But I also know that I didn't buy that fund for what it's going to do for me on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I buy that fund for what it's going to do for me down the road. And historically speaking, I'm going to make a really bold statement right now. Historically speaking, the S&P 500 has a 100% track record of recovering its losses. That is pretty bold. It is bold, but it's factual. Yeah. Okay. I know that if I buy into the S&P 500 today, it's going to go down for me tomorrow. Okay. That's just how life goes. Yeah. But I also have very, very high confidence that if I don't get upset, if I don't get fearful, if I just stay the course, if I stay on the track that my plan has laid out for me, I have very, very high confidence that at a point in the future, which I determine, right, because they're my goals, at a point in the future, that money that I put into the S&P is going to be more than I started with. Yeah. The S&P recovers its losses if we give it enough time. It's the individual investor that doesn't perform as well as the market. And we do that because we get lulled into this sense of, oh, hey, The market's at an all-time high right now. I'm going to sell, and I'm going to wait for it to drop again. 
The psychology of that's very, very difficult. If I sell at a high point and then it goes even higher, then I'm kicking myself, right? Oh man, I got out too early. And then the market drops, maybe it experiences a 10% correction. By the time that that, that S&P has corrected by 10%, I am so nervous and I'm so convinced that the sky is falling. I can't look at that and I can't recognize, hey, this is just a correction. This is the bottom I should get back in. Mm. If there were a formula to time all of that stuff perfectly, we would be doing this radio show in one of those cool little glass bottom hutch, hutches in, in Bora Bora. They've got because those? we would have... <laughs> Oh, yeah. I've never been to one of those. little fishies swim by. I want to go to one of those. Me too. But my point is, if if that were doable, if that sort of market timing could be replicated successfully over and over and over again, we would all be so fabulously wealthy, we would would be doing those sorts of things. The key to making money in the market, and and I've used the S&P as my my litmus test for this, but we can use the S&P, we can use the Dow, we can do the Russell 2000, I can do the NASDAQ, pick your index, okay? But the point of this is, you pick where the investment is going to go, and you trust that you have made a good pick and you leave it alone. Mm -hmm. Time is your friend with this. Not trying to time in and out. It's time in the market, not timing. 855-767-3123 is the number to call, 855-ROSE-123. We do apologize. We do hear that there are some uh, problems with the callers being able to be heard on the air today, and we just had one of those days today. So uh, we'll we'll continue to try to work on that, and we'll hopefully be able to get uh, our callers on so that you can hear them. In the meantime, uh, we'll try for Rick. Rick, are you there from uh, Gaithersburg? Absolutely happy to do that. Are you still working? No, I'm retired. retired okay. About four years ago. Good for you. Good for you. So, 72 is actually the extended age. Required minimum distributions used to start at age 70 and a half. And that created all sorts of math issues because depending on where you in the year you were born, maybe you had to take it this year, maybe you could defer it to next year. So here's here's the clarification for you, Rick. On a required minimum distribution, the first one, distribution number one, should happen the year that you turn 72. You have a one-time option to defer that distribution until the next year. If you do that, two things to know. First, you have to take that first distribution no later than April 1 of the year following the year that you turned 72. And by the way, you've deferred the first one, so now you have to take distribution number one and distribution number two in the same year. If the distributions are large, you may not want to do that because the taxation would be significant. 
And the, the other piece of that is you, you want to look at what you're paying. If you are enrolled in Medicare Part B, you want to make sure if you're considering deferring that first distribution, make sure that by deferring it, it's not going to jump you up into the next cost category for your Medicare Part B because they look at all of your income to determine what you're paying for that insurance. To take the first one. But if you do, you've got to take two of them. Correct. I would say that if it's a very, very large distribution that's going to have a big tax on it, you may be better off taking the first one this year as scheduled. Well, and it's it's not a percentage. You know, you know why? Because that would just make it too easy. The IRS has what's called this uniform life expectancy table. And let me real quick look this up for you because I don't have this memorized, Rick. It's a little bit too much. A little bit too much for me to remember, especially when they go through and they change the things. So if you're 72 years old, what you will do is you will take the balance of the 401k as of January 1 of this year. So every single year, your required distribution is calculated based on the January 1 balance. It is not a moving target. You will take that January 1 balance and you will divide it by 25.6. That will tell you the amount that you are supposed to take out for the first year. And guess what? That dividing number changes every year. So the one for age 72, you divide by 25.6. The one for the year that you turn 73, you divide it by 24.7, and so forth and so on. As you get older, that divisor is going to get smaller and smaller. If the account balance stayed exactly the same, never changed, your distribution would go up by a little bit every single year. If I were in your shoes, that's exactly what I would do. But again, well, this is the extended age. Age 72 is the extended age. But there, glad you brought that up, Rick, because there is word, there, there is a movement afoot, if you will, to extend the age to 75. It hasn't been passed. It hasn't been passed yet. And if they do that extension the way they did this one, once you are already of the age to start taking required distributions, you've got to keep going. Hey, hang in there just a second. Hang in there just a second, Rick. We'll pick you up after we get off the air. We've got to, we've got to get it done. Close up the show here, Dina. It's been so good to have you here again once this week. Next week, next time you're there, we'll hopefully we'll have all these difficulties worked out. But it's sure, sure good to see you. Good to see you, my friend. Have a good one. And if, you, uh, if you've heard anything on the show you'd like to know a little bit more about, call 855-767-3123. That's 
Rose123 during the week, and someone will be able to help you on that phone number that you call. For Dina Arnett and Bob in the back answering the phones today, my name is Chris McKay. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again next time on another edition of the Larry Rosenthal Show.